and welcome to the PC Games End podcast. I'm Julian Benson, and with me today is Steve Hogarty. Hello. Jeremy Peel. Hello. And Fraser Brown. Hey there. Uh, Tim's not here, so we're going to go on to the news. Earlier this week, we uh, heard that a new grid's been announced, Grid Autosport, um, and uh, I think, Jeremy, you were the guy who wrote it up? I did, yes. Um, can you tell us about it? It sounds good. It sounds more semi. It's made uh, as a sort of direct reaction to the fun response of Grid 2, which people didn't seem to like so much. They prefer handling, which makes them skid off the track on the first corner and all that good stuff, um, which would be nice because we have Project Cars, but we don't have Forza. We don't have Gran Turismo. So we are sort of... Um, there is a, a relative dearth of proper car sims on PC. So what sort of things have been changed for Autosport? Uh, I'm glad you asked me that, Jules. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. I know the first thing they mentioned was the handling. Um, and they also mentioned that they have in cockpit in car views, which are seemingly very important to people. That's definitely very important. I don't know why they got rid of them, because they got rid of them good too, and everyone was very annoyed at them for doing that. Um, and it's something I think, so to sidetrack it, but like with next-gen consoles and stuff, and having all these extra polygons to throw around, I think developers should be focusing on putting cockpits in everything and <laughs> enhancing the graphics of everything outside the cockpit. Yeah. Third-person shooters... You're actually yep. in the person, but exactly. from a third person. <laughs> well, I remember the um, the reason when they announced Grid 2 and they were saying there wasn't going to be a cockpit view is they said that the, the data they pulled from the game is that only 5% of people actually used it. And so they were just taking it out because it meant that they could put all the polygons that were being used for the cockpit and uh, so on into the, the world around it. But it's just like the amount that people were complaining about it. Like, was that the, the data was wrong or just that the people who complain are the people who also use cockpit view, or it turns out that five percent all have access to forums and a caps lock key. <laughs> <laughs> but um, also, it'd be really cool if the reason they're putting cockpit view back in and they're uh, spending this time, like sort of a uh, uh, developing it to make it look as good as it did in the original grid and better, would be if they're supporting Oculus Rift on this. Like that, I can't think of any other racing games which have yet announced Oculus support. Is there a speed problem for that? I mean, Steve, you use the Rift more than any of us have. In, like, and a lot of the stuff that's specifically designed for the Rift is very sort of sedate, pedestrian, mm. often literally. I think it's, there definitely is uh, like a, a latency problem, and it's it would be noticeable in a in a faintly realistic car racing game. You're going to be having to turn the steering wheel like half a second before you actually get to the corners. Yeah. Um, so I can definitely see it being a problem. But then they have released new Oculus Rifts since the, like the Crystal Cove versions coming out in the summer. And they say that the latency is getting, um, uh, lesser and lesser. Um, so I, I guess they can start using it in racing games. Yeah. But, um, I can imagine it's still being quite disorientating. Cause I mean, the thing which, um, I think Tim's actually been saying it since, like, first putting on the Oculus, was that it makes more sense with games where you are a person sat in a thing to be playing it than being in the world itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's like being the cockpit of um, a space fighter in a new Valkyrie, that sort of makes sense, because then you are your body is locked in a position, and you could only move your head to free motion. But actually, well, see, you found that with first-person games, it, it 
it's been okay. Uh, the ones where like you are controlling your whole body's direction by looking around. Um, I played a lot of Half-Life 2 with the <coughs> Oculus Rift, if that fits that definition yeah. that you've just said. Um, and I think those are the games that eventually do give you the motion sickness, uh, just because you are sort of sailing through 3D space and your body isn't feeling any sense of motion. Whereas if you're playing a space game and you're, you're sitting down and you're flying around, you're not really you're not feeling the g-forces at all, but you don't feel like you should be moving around. So it's yeah, the the, the more still that you can sit in the video game, the better the Oculus Rift experience is going to be. Well, presumably you'll be sitting down while playing it a lot. I don't know if you guys like do a lot of jumping around while sitting by the keyboard and mouse, but I tend to be quite <laughs> sedate. <laughs> there is That's a true. treadmill VR kit, which I think has been maybe just crowdfunded. I'm not sure. There's there's a couple of them. Um, they, they look absolutely ridiculous. Apparently they're a bit shit. <laughs> because you have to put like so much more effort into them. It doesn't feel like walking. Yeah. At all, mm. it's actually quite uncomfortable. I just feel like you're you're pushing the floor with your feet. Yeah, in a way that's exactly not like it. walking yeah. at all. I did see a video of a guy using one of those treadmill type things uh, with a Wiimote and an Oculus Rift, um, playing Skyrim, um, and it did look like quite a lot of fun. Uh, you know, he was using the Wiimote to simulate the sword swipes and things like that. It just kind of, it looked like it was quite a laugh, but it also seemed like yeah. a lot of hassle. That's a lot of kit just to play <laughs> yeah. Skyrim. Um, Alright, uh, should we move on? Um, but one of the other things that happened this week is we got a full like eight minute video of Turtle Rock's new game, Evolve, which is a, a four player, no, five player co-op game where four of you are playing monster hunters and one of you is playing a monster. Um, Steve, have you had a look at this already? I haven't seen the video, but I have played Evolve. I think it's really good. It, it, it It's from Turtle Rock, who made uh, Left 4 Dead, and it feels immediately like Left 4 Dead. Um, you get that same sense of uh, sticking together with your co-op human partners, and um, playing as the Goliath monster as well just feels like playing as Left 4 Dead's tank. Um and just the the mechanics of sort of hunting the monster just work so well, like tracking its footprints, uh, dropping down sonar rods to uh, that they sort of ping off whenever the monster passes by them, um, and just how the different classes work together. Uh, it just works really well, and every game has to have one person in each class slot, so you will always have the hunter, you'll always have like the assault class, and um all of their abilities play off one another. So, like, you can drop uh, this shield dome that keeps the keeps the monster in a certain radius, and then you can start pummeling him, pummeling him, and tethering him to things, and trying to slow him down. And eventually, he'll bounce away, and he'll try and eat wildlife and evolve, and then come back and be five times bigger than when you last saw him. Um, and just really, he, he it's it's a really sort of um, physical. Uh, attacks that he has, so he's picking enemies up like he's he's picking humans up like he's King Kong, and he's throwing them around and stuff. It's just a really fun and frightening game to play. Very cool. I, one of the things which um, like sort of stood out from the video, um, with sort of with the idea of looking at playing as the tank from Left 4 Dead, was that he did. It did seem to be that 
the Goliath was essentially a, a massive bullet soak. And so, like, sort of, um, when uh, the team at one point have all their shield bubbles up and they, they're just shooting this monster with everything they've got, it's just gradually bringing down the health. And, like, mm-hmm. when you were playing as well the Hunters, did it, was it frustrating? Or was it, how was it? It's, um, so I think the way the monster's health is supposed to work is he has, um, a, a, a absolutely massive health bar. I think you're supposed to be whittling him down over the course of 20 minutes rather than pinning him into a corner and beating him very quickly. Mm. Um, it has, uh, I think it's broken down into maybe four slots. Once you get him past one of those, uh, notches in his health bar, he won't be able to regenerate health back up to that. So you do weaken him over the course of, of the game. Um, but it's, it, yeah, it's that him having such a huge amount of health makes it about um, sort of controlling him, getting him into the right places so that the assaults guy can um, can run up and st- start taking as much health away from him as possible. But the, the game is geared towards the monster eventually being able to get away again and then you having to hunt him maybe like three or four times per game. The mobile arena atta- attack is just ridiculously cool as well. How you can just punk down this uh, this little battlefield um, and trap the Goliath inside, mm. so he can't escape and go and eat uh, yeah. some wildlife and regenerate, or can't jump up somewhere and hide. Um, I thought that was quite nifty. And the wildlife is great too, uh, like crocodiles coming out of the river and just like one hit killing um, hunters, mm. which is so quite concerning. There's a great bit where there's like a the hunters are sort of chasing down after the Goliath, and then one of them just sort of steps too close to this large plant that just eats him. <laughs> Carnivorous plant. When you play as the monster as well, like the, the humans really do sort of get underneath your feet and you're trying to concentrate on on um, the guy who's causing you the most damage, but then you see that he's got a shield on him and that's because the uh, the support character can cast a shield, like a permanent shield, onto one um, of his uh, uh, allies. A bit uh-huh. like the TF2's medic sort of with a healing beam. You can sort of have a shield beam, so he's permanently protecting one guy. So then you have to go focus on that guy instead. So you, you run over there, and in doing so, you sort of lose track of the assault guy who was beating you. And uh, they just have, if if the human players are playing well, they have all of their abilities interlocking in such a way that you have to sort of find the weak spot, get that guy, incapacitate him, go back to the assault guy, and it's it's really quite frantic. And they can move around very quickly. And and when you get to like your highest evolution level, as the Goliath. You are quite big, and it can be difficult to, to like to just get one of them because they're tiny, like little. Again, to go back to the King Kong analogy, they're like the little biplanes trying to swat <laughs> them as they go past. And so, is it that it's just like the one monster? Is it that um, you play as the Goliath in all the games? Or is it that each level is like a different thing going on? They've um, they've said there are going to be multiple monsters, and they're not all going to be like Goliath. And I was trying to pick up on what the other ones might be like based on the sort of language they were using. And mm. they were talking about how um, the Goliath is like a big... He is just like the tank from Left 4 Dead. He's like a big, muscly, gorilla kind of thing that grows larger every time he evolves. Mm. They were saying how there will be enemies who... Um, or monsters who don't grow when they evolve physically. Yeah. But um, they'll grow in different ways. So I think we're thinking about like psychic enemies that can um that can do sort of all sorts of weird mind control stuff. 
I, I, I don't know if they've actually said that, but this is what's <laughs> happened. Like my head. It feels um, like it'd be a really missed opportunity if they didn't have something like a predator. Um, so yeah. Just, the idea of four people around in the woods, but the thing they're hunting is invisible and has blades out of its arms or whatever. You even be. said they're not all going to move in the same way. Excuse me. Um, they will, uh, like some will be again. All this imagery is in my head, and I think it was triggered by by specific words that were saying. Someone must have said slithering. So I think there's going to be like a snake enemy um, who doesn't necessarily uh, like jump from from branch to branch and run up cliffs and stuff but moves in a very different way. Maybe even things like flying enemies, uh, things like that. Uh, but they're, um, I don't know if they're going to be level specific because mm. the Goliath certainly works very well within that jungle level. Mm. Um, but I, I can see, I can see them sort of tailoring the level design to fit a certain monster that you're fighting against. So maybe the Goliath lives in the jungle. Some sort of psychic enemy thing lives in some sort of maybe more urban setting. Um, it all takes place on like a, a a planet on the edge of the galaxy that you're trying to uh, populate, but it's full of these crazy monsters. So you you are like a bounty hunter team sent in to uh to get rid of them. I don't know if the video touches on the objective for the monster. Obviously, the objective for the bounty hunters is to is to kill the monster. The monster's objective in the game I played was to damage some reactor in a factory, which. Oh, right. To me, didn't really feel very compelling. I just wanted—I wanted to kill the bounty hunters. That doesn't seem like it would be the objective of a monster that was being attacked by hunters. So no. now, that, now would be a great time to get rid of that reactor. Presumably, <laughs> the the goals for the monsters tie into stopping people from colonizing this planet or something like that. So he's trying to destroy their generators and things like that, so they yeah. can't live there. But how would a monster know what the hell a generator was? Maybe the Goliath has his own little town with generators and stuff. Old Goliath and little baby Goliaths. And <laughs> postman Goliath. But you can't think like this. In, in competitive multiplayer games, there are only men. There are no <laughs> women and children. There's nothing to worry about. This is the only way it can happen. Oh, who was it who said that recently? That they can... Doesn't matter, actually. Let's just go down sidetrack. Is that <laughs> the, um, the, the uh, Mark Rubin, the Call of Duty guy? He said that they didn't have the tech to put women into Call of Duty until now. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even know what women looked like until, like, 2014. The research just hadn't been done. They didn't know how to render women inside games. Do you, do you remember when every GDC ended with a sort of wistful, maybe one day we'll have the technology for women? <laughs> <laughs> just like, like behind the scenes, sort of just a 60 strong R&D team trying, like, just pictures up of, like, from Glamour and so on. So, how do we do this? <laughs> <laughs> One day. <laughs> cool. Well, on that note, <laughs> should we move on? Um, so, uh, something else which we've just found out, found out about this morning was that, um, uh, Alex Garden has become the new president of Zynga. President of, uh, of Zynga Studios, which is, I, I guess, the their actual development bits. Um, hopefully, because, yeah, if they, well, I suppose, well, let's say, so Alex Garzen was um, one of the guys who co-founded Relic um, all those years ago, and was, um, was it creative director and producer on Homeworld and um, Company of Heroes as well? So sort yeah. of massive gaming chops. Um, and, um, uh, but since then, he also was the head of Xbox Live, yeah. Yeah. 
So, I mean, it's interesting to see, yeah, this route that he's gone, but now he's ended up at Zynga and what this could possibly mean. The thing is that we've had these amazing designers like uh, Brian Reynolds at Zynga before and they've, you know, they've been frustrated by, as far as we can tell from the outside, by the lack of scope they've had to make the games they wanted to and they've ended up leaving. But at the same time, Zynga has, uh, you know, they've had colossal losses and, you know, I think they're in a position where they might be willing to change. They know they need to change. Mm. It sounds like they should have changed about a year ago, though. Yeah. Um, Zynga, in my head, they it's the Farmville people, right? Yeah. yeah. What have they done that's not um, a web-based, Facebook-integrated thing? Well, that's their thing, isn't it? Yeah. That's the market that they give a shit about. This is interesting that they've hired these like talented people and I don't see them producing anything that sort of plays to their abilities, really. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I can't actually understand why they would hire like talented designers when their goal is basically just to uh, waste time and get people hooked on you know, cheap Facebook games that just generate a lot of profits and not much more. Mm. Uh, it's bizarre. But I mean, maybe they are trying to change tactic. Mm. It was like, as Jeremy said, they've had so many, like, I think I just read today that, um, they've lost half of their player base in less than a year. Like, they're yeah. just, they're just evaporating. Um, and with Facebook as well, F- Facebook's changing. Facebook's going far more like mobile. They're splitting all of their functionalities into different apps. Um, like Facebook has no longer got, they're phasing out the chats, going into like Messenger. They're having, um, picture sharing on Instagram instead of in the newsfeed. Facebook itself is becoming more like a Twitter thing. Like Zynga must see that not only are they losing all of their players, the platform that they make all their money from has, is just changing very, very rapidly. Yeah, They've, people view Facebook on different devices you know, mm. that aren't really conducive to those sort of games. Exactly. Oh, here's an awful thought. They saw Facebook buying Oculus VR, and they're like, we want a piece of that. We're going to make Farmville VR. <laughs> I'd play that. I know, I was going to say, actually, like a first-person farming game, I quite be up for. <laughs> um, you have to go and hassle your friends on Facebook in first person. <laughs> yeah, so you, you, you walk up to them and hand them an invite um, and say, come play Farmville with me. Um, <laughs> I need more chickens. <laughs> so the the thing that's happened since they started hemorrhaging money is they've expressed interest in two areas, one of which is casino-type games and the other is core games, you know, the, the two last resorts of any huge company. Um, and casino games... Been led to believe are a bit of a problem, especially in the US, because you have certain states where the law kind of inhibits what you might want to do in that sort of area. So this zinger at this moment, proper games might make quite a lot of sense to them. I I just get the feeling that they're having these appointments, like appointing um, Matrick and um, new head of Zynga Studios is like a shareholder appeasing thing it's the sort of thing that gives them a bump in their share price when they have like a high profile game developer and high profile manager come in 
I don't know how business works, but I'm very cynical when it comes <laughs> to these sorts of things. They're definitely a share price driven company. That's all mm. anybody ever talks about in relation to Zynga. Oh, how depressing. <laughs> well, what? um, should we talk about some games? <laughs> oh, look. Um, Steve, what have you been playing this week? Oh, actually, I'll tell you what I haven't playing. I've, I've been playing Nosgoth and I ended up really not agreeing with, uh, with, with Fraser's opinions on it. That's cause you're wrong, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, does one of you want to give a description of what Nosgoth is? And then, uh, we can move on to its pros and cons. Nosgoth is a terrible game. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nosgoth is, um, the multiplayer portion of a cancelled, uh, Legacy of Cain sequel that is being pushed out to pasture anyway because <laughs> well, their marketing angle is this isn't just the multiplayer bit this is like a thing that that became its own game and it's 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 a worthwhile endeavor in its own right um it's set in the legacy of Cain uh universe the world which is called Nosgoth and it pitches um vampires against humans in 4v4 or maybe 5v5, they haven't settled on the final number yet, uh, battles in which um, both teams have uh, asymmetric abilities, which is kind of interesting. So the vampires are doing all sorts of melee attacks and uh, the humans have like ranged weapons. So it's based in sort of a ranged versus melee uh, style uh, combat. And um, one of the vampires can fly, which is really interesting. And um, beyond that, I just didn't find it an especially compelling uh, multiplayer experience. Fraser might think differently. Yeah, which is I, okay. was, I was really surprised because I thought it would be pretty terrible. Um, you know, I, I love Legacy of Kane, Soul Reaver, um, and just the idea of having this weird free-to-play uh, multiplayer arena game just didn't sit right with me. But if you kind of forget that it has anything to do with Legacy of Cain. Uh, I, I find the actual like mechanics and design quite interesting. Um, I, 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 I liked the vampires more than the humans. I think most people will. Mm. The humans are kind of just ranged people who shoot things, whereas the vampires have a lot more interesting abilities. Like they can... Uh, the Sentinel, I believe, is the flying one that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he can pick up enemies from the battlefield and just drop them on their head. I had a, so I I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed playing as the Sentinel. But I had a real problem with the balancing of like the damage that was being done. Like picking uh, a human up and dropping him is really good fun, but it doesn't do anything. But it there's takes... a, there's a tactical element to it. At least I think you, if there's a lot of humans taking on your allies and uh, you can just swoop in and pick a human up. You've taken them out of that battle. Um, and maybe there's one of the tankier, I think the tyrants is what they're called, mm. uh, guys over on the other side of the map. So you just, you just take this human, fly over to the other side of the map, drop him, do a little bit of damage, and then he's there on the ground for the tyrant to deal with. It's about using your abilities uh, with your teammates and thinking about what would help them as well. Were your team playing together? Did they do that? Like when, when, I, you... I, when I was playing, there were... Like, sometimes people were just testing out because I was, I was playing back in 
early alpha. Um, but people started actually communicating. Uh, we started chatting and devising plans and strategies where we were going to attack them or where we, we were going to lead them because the environment of the map has a great impact on, especially on the vampires because they can climb up buildings and stuff like that and, and do giant leaps. So it was about actually managing the enemy and manipulating them. And that actually started happening, which I was really surprised by. I think in the same way that um, we're talking about Evolve and how it has four classes that interoperate, like it's mm-hmm. that's fundamental to how the game works. Is one player has to do this thing, and then this other player can do this thing, and almost everything they do helps out other players. Um, I found that none, there were there are no abilities in Nosgoth apart from uh, the human support character can drop. Healing grenades. Yeah, there there are no abilities that actually like help your allies or work with uh, the other players to to achieve something. The only sort of cooperation that you have is just sticking together. And I found that matchups were more often than not resolved by how many of either team showed up <clears> at a certain <throat> point. So if it's two humans versus one vampire, then the, the humans win. Or if it's two vampires versus one human, then the vampires win and maybe it was just the ma- the the games i was playing but um I, I i wasn't finding that the abilities i had as either uh as any class in, on any team was really affecting how the battle was playing out so i i think it, it does sound like we both just had quite different matches mm-hmm. uh really because i i did feel that there, i mean i i get what you're saying about that none of the powers feel uh, instinctively like they're meant to work together. But I think that they do anyway, if the players actually tr- make an effort to, to do So, uh, yeah, we can, we can find common yeah. ground on that and just say that the, the game is definitely, uh, made better by playing with people who are corporate, cooperating and, and yeah. working together. Like any multiplayer game, really. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> cool. Um, I'm glad we can find common ground because the rest Hooray. of this podcast was going to be really difficult otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jeremy, what have you been playing? I started playing Transport Tycoon, which is really old. It's like contemporary with uh, original XCOM, and it's quite fun. It's uh, it's not really there's not really anything like it. Is this a re-release or are you using a mod to make it nice and new? Um, well. I have been, it, there is no new release on PC. There's this weird situation where, uh, you can get it on PC from Amazon used for like eight quid or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a re-release on Android and iOS. Uh, but that's the only place it is at the moment. Uh, but Chris Sawyer, it is Sawyer, isn't it? Not Taylor. Yep. Good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he was involved in it in some capacity. Uh, I've had a go on that on the iOS version too, and that's pretty nice. Um, it's cool. Like it's, it's, it's it, the UI is really intrusive. There's, uh, it looks kind of ugly, but um, there's a sort of really nice kind of uh, capitalist optimism to it, um, which is kind of Sims-like, which I quite enjoy. Um, I don't think there's really anything like that. Is it that you're actually building up a city then, or is it that a city's provided to you and you're, you're having to connect this up? How, how does it work? Well, this, this is one of the things I like about it, is that, um, you know, Sid Mayer once said about Sid that it's 
the game for egomaniacs, and Sin City is sort of that as well. It's you are mayor of a huge place, whereas Transport Tycoon is we're responsible just for the, the buses, uh, the railways, uh, all this stuff for the for this town. And if it saves the entire economy, then that's that's great. That's just a a nice side effect. But you actually you're actually responsible for a lot of an area. You do. Um, so you, you you lay roads, you uh, you lay railway, put stations down, you connect up uh, coal making facilities with the places where coal needs to be. So you're doing about two thirds of what you might be doing in a, a tropical or a sim city. I miss the management genre. I feel like it's one where if you, if you were to look at the title alone of modern games, you'd think, oh, there's been a revival of this genre. Because there is a roller coaster type before. Um, there is a. I don't remember what else has been. There have been various mobile and, and social game versions of these games. Mm. Because they kind of, I think, superficially resemble games like Farmville that have been successful in those spheres. But they're not actually, on a fundamental level, anything like those games. I don't yeah. think. Have you guys played the Tropical Games? Yes, yeah. Loads of it. It's one of my favourite series. Um, I absolutely adore it. I think it's got the right amount of, of character and challenge as well, because there is a challenge in it. Um, it kind of seems quite laid back, and it is. You can just relax and play it. Um, but trying to appease all these different groups who hate each other is quite the juggling act. Because you've got, like, the intellectuals want you to build a school... The religious dudes want you to build a cathedral or a church. And if you do one and, and not the other, you're going to really upset them. And there's a constant tension between these little demographics. Um, and you do just have to decide, right, these are the, the groups of people that I actually care about. And these ones can just bugger off. Um, so inevitably, there's going to be people who are unhappy with you. And they might go off and join like a guerrilla force. So then you've got to start appeasing the army so they can go and deal with these gorillas. And, um, it becomes quite hectic and crazy because you've just upset so many people. And then you might even upset the USSR or America, um, which is even worse because they're the ones that give you lots of lovely money. <laughs> I really like in Tropico that it makes you sympathize with despots. And you start <laughs> off and you go, everyone's going to live in apartments. They're all going to be educated, they're all going to be happy, everyone's going to be fine. So you, you plant apartments there, nobody goes to live in them, you, you like, why, is, why is nobody living in them? Oh, they can't afford them. Uh, I'll, I'll set up this, uh, this school or the university and no one's going to study in university. Oh, why is that? Oh, because they don't have any food, so they're farming <laughs> instead. And before you know it, you have slums everywhere. And you've positioned your despot in a factory standing, breathing down the necks of these poor figures so that they work faster. And that's you. I'm just trying to improve your lives. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that Tropical has an element of darkness that is actually there. It's kind of like, Jules, when you uh, use some of the, the addicts and you're like, you know, banning contraception and like churning out propaganda. Do you ever feel a little bit bad? I think so. I've, I've been trying really hard to play it as a ruler that I, I, I've like idealized and believe that would exist. And so like, uh, I give them sort of like the free literacy programs and the, uh, the double food, food rations. And so far I've managed to stay clear of all like the environmentally harmful ones. But it's just also, I know how much easier the game would be if I did. 
Like, I know it'd be just much easier if I, like, um, I could get the population levels right up if I made, uh, uh, no contraception. Or, like, I could make the religious right so much happier if I just prohibited alcohol. But, no, I, I've gone, I've gone good. <laughs> See, I kind of feel like I, I go a bit pragmatic. So I do, if I have a lull in population, then I really need more people to live in horrible shacks and farm my tobacco. Um, <laughs> I will just be like, alright, no condoms for you guys. Ladies are all off the pill. Sorry. And then I just have more babies and it's great. Um, people are upset. Well, not the, not the, uh, the religious groups, but everyone else is pretty gutted about it. <laughs> the Tropico almost encourages badness with the opposite thing. It's like, well, let's see what resources I've got. I've got no money. I've got no buildings. I have no contacts that are reliable. All I have is people and lots of them. What can I convert these people into? And it just makes you a bad person through that. And actually, one of the um, interesting updates that happened with Prison Architect recently was that they've gone from... the Previous now, they've only really supported right-wing prisons, like in the sense of they put out all the sort of like punishment stuff or how to guards with guns and how to issue uh, kills on, on on your prisoners. But they've just put out the stuff which now lets you rehabilitate them. Um, and so you can aim for the sort of the, the being the lefty prison. Um, but like, uh, I don't know, Steve, have you played this new update yet? Uh, oh, the latest prison architects? Yeah. I haven't, but that was always a problem I had with it, was that it didn't really, the, the end goals for your prisoners never seemed like a compelling reason to build a functioning prison. Mm. Um, but if it is as you say, then I might come back to it because I'm a massive lefty. <laughs> Like there are those games where you start playing them and you try to do it how would you go in line with your own ideas and morals and then just finding that actually it's it's not easy or it's like you sort of you're actually having to really work quite hard to to stick to those ideals. Like yeah. was it um Papers Please, which um sort of if you try and do your job diligently and let you through all the right people in that state, it's just it becomes almost impossible. You That's have a start. perfect example of that game that yeah, it it tests your morals and tests how fervently you can stick to them because yeah there is no perfect way of playing like if you do let people through who you believe should be allowed into the country then you end up losing your job and your your family dies horrifically in the cold so it, yeah you're balancing your uh, selfishness versus your ideals I, I know introversion have had a lot of complaints about prison architects already because when it comes down to it, prisons aren't theme parks. People have very strong opinions about them as well they might. And uh, I don't know, they, they've never explicitly based their prisons on any particular country's policies or anything, although they seem to be most like the sort of American mega prison things you get. Mm. Um, and they've got the orange jumpsuits, which implies America. Um, also like death penalty. Which also death penalty, yes. <laughs> yeah. I think the problem people have with it is that it's not saying anything about it. It's just yeah. it just is. Yeah. And I think but I think that I I think it's difficult when you've got something like prisons and the justice system in general, which is quite complex. Uh, maybe it's better just to present options rather than have a message. I think this is one of the difficulties in that people are forming these opinions on a game which is still very much in alpha. And so yeah. it's like uh, as so as Super Saiyan sort of like that what the problems of the game when you were playing it originally is it didn't support a liberal um, 
uh, running of the prison. And like, um, and similarly, like in those very early trailers, we saw sort of clips of a storyline which is going to happen as a single player, where sort of you're presented with, um, uh, like even in the game's tutorial, I think it's that you're building a prison that's going to have an execution chamber, and you're you're sending a prisoner to the execution chamber. And you find out all about how he murdered his like wife and her lover. Yeah. Um, there is a brief message in there that says, "Oh, we it's not our place to to judge like the morality of of the death sentence. We are just here to carry out the laws of the land." Mm-hmm. So they sort of remove themselves from the argument a bit. Uh, which so I think you're making a game. Why don't you dive into it? Say something about the prison infrastructure and the and. But it's a sim. I just I feel that if you put a message with your sim, then I don't know. Like it would be like if SimCity didn't allow you to create a dirty industrial, or if they, you know, if all industrial gross cities purely based around profits failed. SimCity does say things about how cities work and how but there isn't uh, a moral or a political uh, message. There isn't. I think there's an overtone to it, and in, in the same way, like in The Sims, there's like a it's it's a parody of capitalism, mm. uh, and Sim City is uh, sort of shows how a mega city has to benefit from the, the the an underclass for it to truly to truly thrive. And the most recent Sim City shows you have to have these dingy commuter towns pumping out pollution so that just so your sparkling casino city can can thrive. I mean, so I think you can you can have it. You can have sort of a, a moral overtone to it or just, some, just like hands on hips like oh well now you know a little something about how the world works um, while still not interfering with the mechanics of the game and I think yeah. Prison Architect just absolutely shies away from just having any sort of like <laughs> opinion about what, what the game is I mean something else which hasn't really been implemented yet and will be interesting is um, stuff about like reoffending rates and um, so the idea is sort of you, while you're caring for the prisoners during the time that they're within your facility, at the moment when they leave, it's pretty much they're just gone, um, if they leave. And whereas one of the things which will be coming in is what actually happens to those prisoners after they leave. So whether they return to your prison, whether they go on and commit another crime, whether they actually are rehabilitated and move on. Like, how strongly um, introversion decide to play that card could, I suppose, show you more of what they believe about prisons. I think now, uh, now that Prison Architects introduced the, the, it's beginning to introduce the rehabilitation side of things. They can do, as, as both, as everyone's mentioned, they, they can have, they, if you try to play purely to rehabilitate prisoners, you lose some security. So it shows the downside of, of pure re- rehabilitation. And if you, if you go for the pure punishment route, then, uh, the downsides of that is, I don't know, you're an awful person or something. <laughs> <laughs> Just sort of like, uh, as you, the game menu starts darkening and everything starts rotting and you can see that something's <laughs> rotted in the state of your prison. Cool. Um, and Fraser, what have you been playing? Uh, a hell of a lot of Dark Souls 2. Uh, mainly being killed. Uh, which is fun. <laughs> I've seen a lot of the you've died screen. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's pretty good. I don't want to give too much away because then people won't read my review that's coming next week. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, I think I like it more than Dark Souls, uh, the last one. Um, but I'm not sure. I mean, I'm very bad at it. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that. And some people who played the uh, console versions were telling me that they found it um, marginally more forgiving. 
but I have not found this to be the case <laughs> at all. <laughs> they've they've changed things like uh, dodging, for instance, which is was kind of like a get out of jail free card in many instances. In in Dark Souls is now more you're gonna be in a weird position when you die. <laughs> so I'll, I'll dodge, and I'm like, this guy's never gonna get me, and it's like you died. Oh dear. Um, but it inspires you to use parrying and blocking and just like all of your, uh, you know, abilities together. You're not just going to be dodging out of the way. Sometimes you are going to want to stand there and maybe just try and time a parry perfectly so you've you've got your uh, your foe stumbling. But getting that timing has been problematic for me. How does it? Work with Dark Souls too. Is it sort of you're working your way through a castle gradually or something, or is yeah, it? Yeah. That... So you've you've come to this cursed kingdom. Uh, you've been called there for some reason. Um, the story's a bit strange, but it sort of unfolds uh, in a nice organic way. You don't, uh, and you can kind of avoid the story entirely if you want to. Um, but it but it's there if you want to explore. But yeah, you've you've come to this this cursed kingdom, and you're dead as well. As it happens, uh, you're one of the hollow, um, and you're going around trying to find the ju- the great souls of these bosses, basically, that are dotted around the kingdom. I'll be honest, the, the, the story hasn't been nearly as compelling a motivation to go through the game as just the interesting, uh, combat and the, uh, the great, uh, level design as well. Um, cause there's a huge amount of variety. In just, I don't know how many hours I've played, but I've come across a lot of different areas, and it's they all kind of seamlessly blend together, even when they're very disparate. Like you have pirate coves that are just a few minutes' jaunt from like a beautiful, fantastical forest, um, but the way that they're connected through like caverns and caves, it feels like you're just exploring one gargantuan area. Yeah, I, I like it a lot, but it is just really hard, and that gets very frustrating. Did you play Dark Souls 1 on PC? Yes, I did. It's um, And this time, it's a lot better. Uh, the port quality is, is like, so much better. Uh, right. And I wrote a port inspection about it as well, so people should go and read that, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Plugging your articles on the PC What sort of a shill are you? <laughs> so not cool. But yeah, it's it's a vast improvement. The uh, the textures are they're a bit spotty, but some of them are really nice. Uh, so yeah, From Software actually did fulfill that part of the deal at least. They figured out how PCs work. Yeah, because well, that was what was weird. Their excuse was, and I think this is an absolutely shite excuse, but that's just me. Um, but From Software said people were really eager to play Dark Souls on PC, like super eager. So they were just like, okay, we could be a bit slower and actually make a really good PC game, or we could just give them this half-arsed port because they really want it now. So we'll do the latter. Maybe I really liked of, that. It, it was it was funny. They got the most forgiving reception for Shoddy Four ever. It was because yeah. they were like, uh, "We we've read about PC games, and guys, we think this looks like one. Maybe take this and, and just see how it goes." That's kind yeah. of what it was. Like, like, oh. We don't know how to make a PC game at all. Fair enough. I, I like that they put their hands up and said, "Look, we can't. We don't know how PC games work. But yeah. if you really want it, like here it is in half working form. I've got a lot of time for that." So, 
if you had to yeah. um, give, give the game some sort of numerical <laughs> thing... I'm not playing that game. <laughs> Such a Tim Edwards question. But up, 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 to the, up to the number of ten, uh, or, or higher. But it's definitely let's somewhere 10. between um, ten. What, what would you give it? I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> 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 if I was your editor, <laughs> <laughs> we got it from you then that you're giving it a four. <laughs> <laughs> it will have a number at the end. Fraser scale doesn't go but six anyway. <laughs> See, I, I've got a reputation for being really, really harsh, but I think the last few games that I've reviewed, I've given like eights. Ah, uh, so um, last few games, but not this current. <laughs> so maybe, so maybe it's going to be higher. Than it is, <laughs> or lower, who knows? Cool. Okay. <laughs> well, um, awesome. Well, thanks very much for listening. Um, and uh, if you'd like to read more of our words or hear, read the words that we've just been. We've been saying words, but if you want to read words, we also do that. <laughs> you can find those on PCGamesN.com. Uh, follow our tweets on uh, at PCGamesN, and find us on Facebook with PCGamesN Network, I think. Uh, PC Games Network, right? PC Games Network, that's the one. Yeah, otherwise it would be PC Games Network, Network. Network, Network. So yeah, you can find us at Facebook.com forward slash PC Games Network. Um, thanks very much, and uh, we'll you'll hear us next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye.